Welcome to Cross Lane Community Church, where we are committed to bringing people to Jesus. We hope you enjoy this online message. I don't know if you've noticed or not, maybe you've already had your celebratory donut for the morning. And uh, those are free, by the way, have all the donuts. Well, I don't guess all you want. Don't be a pig about it, because they got carbs in them, okay? But today is, we're not 30 years old today, but this year marks our 30th year and before the whole year gets away from us we kind of wanted to uh, you know comment a little bit on the fact that we've been around for 30 years and talk about what that means and and uh, what what where we've been kind of what's coming for us and in january i'll do some more of that we've got some big plans in 2011 it's going to be a big year for us but i wanted to do something to kind of um, mark where we are okay and so uh, let's talk a little bit about 30 years and what what was going on 30 years ago and in some cases what wasn't going on 30 years ago. And in the first service, it's not necessarily uh, full of lots of kids, but this service has lots of kids in it. So kids, you'll get a kick out of this because you're going to hear about some things that didn't exist 30 years ago and you'll be amazed. And we're going to talk about some things here and your parents are going to know exactly what I'm talking about and you are not going to have a clue. You're going to think, what in the world is that? So let's start talking about some things from 30 years ago, like the price of gas. <laughs> 75 cents a gallon 30 years ago. Um, 30 years ago, kids, you will not believe this. We used to actually take a picture with a camera, and we didn't know whether or not the picture was a good picture or not. <laughs> and we would have to wait until we went through all the roll of film then we would take that canister of film you remember this take it to a store fill out an envelope right and put your first initial of your last name in the little box up in the corner so they could find you in the drawer when your film came back a week later <laughs> had to send your film off and have it developed and it had to wait a week you didn't want any of this, you take a picture and, oh, that wasn't a good one, let's take another one. No, no, no. You took a picture and you waited, okay? Um, I'm not really sure on this. Microwaves were just coming into vogue, am I right? I mean, we probably had them 30 years ago. But, but yeah, for $1,200. <laughs> I, remember, I remember the first microwave we got, and my dad taught me how to make a hot ham and cheese sandwich. Thirty years ago, the two-liter bottle was just making its entrance into our vocabulary and into our stores, and they actually had to push those on us at first because it was metric, and we weren't for anything metric, and it was plastic, and the big thing was, look, you can drop it on the floor, and of course, then you dropped it on the floor to see if it wouldn't break, and it wouldn't break, and then you'd pop the lid on it, and Coke would go everywhere, <laughs> right? So I remember the two-liter bottle. I remember the novelty of a two-liter bottle because 30 years ago, you know what we were doing? Or your parents and I were doing? We were taking bottles back for a deposit. I remember going to the grocery store in the long line with bottles on the roller rack thing. You remember that? 30 years ago, no cell phone, no GPS, no laptop. Thank God Al Gore came along and invented the internet for us. I'm going to pay for that. 
It was worth it, though. It was worth it. No iPod. There was, the term MP3 player meant nothing to any of us. MP3, what in the world's an MP3? None of that existed 30 years ago. Kids, do you even know that AM radio exists? Now, I'm not talking about XM radio. I'm talking about AM radio. And if you do, do you realize that 30 years ago they actually played music on AM radio? It wasn't just, I mean, you think AM radio now, and you probably think what? Talk shows. No, I, there was, there were, we used to listen to music on the AM side of the, of the dial. It, was, it happened all the time. Um, I, I'm, I'm, this portion of my life, I, I'm, there's a couple of people that I am writing letters to. They, can't, they don't have access to email. They're not in the best of circumstances, and so I'm trying to uh, brighten their day, and so um, they're kind of lonely, and I'm writing to them. I'm writing letters, and I write those longhand. Um, which we don't do much anymore, do we? We don't, we don't write letters longhand anymore, but I'm trying to do that. And uh, the reason I'm bringing that up is <clears throat> stamps. Do you know what a stamp cost in, uh, 30 years ago? 13 cents three year, 30 years ago for a, for a stamp. There was no Facebook. There, there was no email, nothing like that. Um, 30 years ago, when you went to buy your groceries and you came to the checkout, and, and there was a girl there, and they had the roller thing, which was cool. We had that technology 30 years ago, so we were advanced as a civilization. <laughs> but they didn't have the scanner that they could point and, and shoot scanner thing, and they actually had to type in the, the, the price of something, and it was actually, an, they called it an adding machine. It was an adding machine. It was a cash register. Um, NCR stands for National Cash Register. Uh, IBM, International Business Machines. I mean, that's what, they, that's what they were in the business of making were things like that back then. And, and they actually had to type in the numbers. And you'd have to stand there and wait. You, well, you, you still have to stand there and wait. But, but at least now we get to get, hear that cool beeping sound, you know. <laughs> so we, we can know that our stuff's being, we're being charged more than we should. Um, <laughs> did I say that out loud? I'm sorry. Cars actually had chrome bumpers 30 years ago. You remember that? Chrome bumpers. Much to my father's chagrin has the chrome bumper gone away from the automobile. He thinks the more chrome it has on it, the prettier it is and the shiner. He, he likes the old, and he hates these cars with the, the bumpers with the same color as the rest of the car. He hates that. So when he sees an old car with an old bumper on it, he's like, oh, yeah, that's great. I remember we used to have those. Them things are awesome. And I'm like, oh, you rock, Dad. You're great. <clears throat> gets, gets fired up about a chrome bumper. There were no MRIs. I don't, I'm not sure about this, but were there, were, were, did they have, um, they didn't have um, ultrasound, did they? Were they doing that? No, no, not 30 years ago. Had x-rays. Of course, I don't think we wanted to do that with our babies, you know, 30 years ago, did we? We weren't doing that with babies, putting them in x-ray, no. Um, but now you got MRIs, that's kind of cool. Um, most people did not, cable television was a brand new thing, and not a whole lot of people had it, and if you did, you were like the envy on the block if you had ca uh, cable television, and these days, when you go to a store and you buy a, a, like a fan on a stand that oscillates, that's my big word for the day, oscillate. You can go buy a fan now that oscillates back and forth, and it comes with a remote. 30 years ago, if you had a remote for your television, you were considered one of the upper echelon in our society because you just didn't have that. I mean, you, kids, I know you're not going to believe this. 
we actually got up out of the chair and walked to the TV to adjust the volume. There was a thing called a contrast knob and a color knob, and I've watched my father spend an hour trying to get that face just the right flesh tone. Like, Dad, you know what? He looks like an Indian, but it's okay. I mean, we actually had to get up and go change the channels. It was crazy. You know, the persecution we endured 30 years ago was amazing. 30 years ago in my car, there was something called an 8-track tape player. We'd never heard of a CD. What in the world is a CD? 8-track tape. You know, did anybody in the room have, still have an 8-track? Still have one. Still have them. Well, Rollin Beard, of course, has. He's probably got 20. 8-track <laughs> tape. This is how it worked. There, there were four programs, and if there was a song you liked, kids are like, what, what is with this old dude talking about all this stuff? There were four programs, and so you divide 10 or 12 songs up into four programs, and if you heard one song you liked and you wanted to hear it over and over, you didn't, it was CD, you just go back. I remember the first CD I heard, I'm like, you can go back one song? How cool is that? You had to hit the button three times, right, and then wait for your song to come around again on that one program. There was no such thing as a CD player. Um, most families did not own a video camera 30 years ago, right? I mean, if there was a family in your neighborhood that had a video camera, I always thought those were wealthy people. When I saw somebody on vacation with a video camera, I thought, man, they got money. They're loaded because they got a video camera. We, we didn't have one. There were no seatbelt laws 30 years ago. It's a wonder. I don't, we, were, we had our, this tells you how busy we have become as a culture because last night our staff and families got together for our annual Christmas dinner. We did that last night because we know as we get into December, it's going to be impossible to do. So last night we were talking about seatbelts, and I told him, I said, I remember when my mom would hit the brake. <laughs> did you all have that? It's a wonder I don't have dents in my chest where my mom, you know, that was my seatbelt. We didn't wear seatbelts. What's a seat? In fact, seatbelts were an option on cars, right? It was like a, it was, hey, this it was what the salesman used to sell you the car. Hey, this one's got a seatbelt. And now it's like, you can't sell a car without a seatbelt. 30 years ago. Let's get serious for a minute. 30 years ago, and I can say this with a straight face and, and totally mean it, because it's true. 30 years ago, hundreds and hundreds of people had yet to come to Christ. Because this place didn't exist yet. You hear what I'm saying? 30 years ago, a place did not exist like this, for some people at least, who felt like they could come and be themselves, could come and I'll say, the, use the expression, let their hair down, because that's what we want you to be able to do. We want you to be able to come here and just relax, not have to pretend. Not have to be something you're not. Not have, to, not have to pretend to be more spiritual than you are. You just come be you here. 30 years ago, this place didn't exist. And there will be hundreds and hundreds of people in heaven because this place came into being. Now, there are other churches that have come into being, and we're not any better than any of the other churches, okay? I want to make sure that I'm crystal clear on that. We don't think we're better than anybody else's church. We don't think that way. We don't act that way. We don't want to be, we don't want any part of any of that. We are not better than any other church. But I know this. 
I know God had a purpose and plan 30 years ago to make a church that would, that would reach into the community, would be a place where people felt safe, would proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, and people by the hundreds would come here and would get saved and will be in heaven one day with us. How cool is that? How cool is that? How does a church like this get to this place 30 years later? The first thing I would say is I want to I give some props to some people this morning. I want, I want to... Um, there are some people who, who still go to church here, and then most of them were in the first service. There are some people who still go to church here who started this place. And they have been, they've seen a lot of things change. They've, in the last 10 years, they've watched me become the preacher and change almost everything right, right underneath their feet and have had to adjust on the fly, and have had to get used to a lot of new things, a lot of new ideas. We do things very differently than they are used to doing things. Those people did not get mad. They didn't storm off and say, I'm going to another church. Those people were willing to shelve their preferences, their wants, their desires, for the greater good of seeing people one to Jesus. Do you know how rare it is in a church when the older people in the church or the people who've been around a long time are willing to say, you know what, this is not my church. This is God's church, and I want to see God unleashed in it. So 30 years ago, what happened is some of those people started this place, and through the years, they have not owned it. They haven't said, hey, this is ours and you can't change it. They've said, God, what do you want to see happen so that we can see lost people one to Jesus? So that's one of the reasons that this church is where it is 30 years later. We have a great history. You're going to see some of it in just a minute. We have a great history. But one of the reasons why is because we've got some attenders that have been going here a long, long time, and they have been willing to put Jesus first. There's a second group of people that are very important. <clears throat> they are the elders of this church. Now, um, I, one of the things that I need to change, and I think most of, do I have any elders in the room this morning? Bob, would you stand? This is Bob Watson. <laughs> That's right. I only make elders stand. I would never make you stand. This is Bob Watson. He's one of our elders. I just want you to see his face. I want you to know who he is. Okay, thank you, Bob. We, most of our elders were in the first service. Uh, I'm sorry, Matthew. Uh, Matt is in the back. He is, he's unable to stand. He's in a wheelchair. Um, he is one of our elders, dear friend of mine, and he joined us about a year, year and a half ago, and has made unbelievable contributions to our elder team in the last year, year and a half. Um, this church is what it is because we have elders who are willing to make hard decisions, who are willing to do the right thing when sometimes it doesn't look like the right thing to everybody else. Sometimes the elders have information that no one else has. Sometimes the elders know things that no one else knows. They carry things home from elders' meetings sometimes that are very, very heavy. It is not an easy thing to be an elder at this church. I've watched these elders come together and pray over lost people with passion. I've watched them pray over me with tears in their eyes. I've watched them pray for the, the projects of this church. I've watched them pray for the vision. I've watched them process information, go to meetings. I've watched them go to conferences and take notes and listen and try and figure out how to be better as a leader. And, and you know, I, I talk about this all the time. 
there's a difference between looking spiritual and being spiritual. And our elders don't really care about looking spiritual. They want to be spiritual. There's a huge difference in those two things. And one of the reasons this church has enjoyed the success it has, it has had phenomenal elders. I see them in action. They pray for you. You need to know you have great men in your corner. Finally, we are where we are because of you. I mean, it's just that simple. We are, when I go to other places and I talk about the church that I get the privilege to serve, First of all, not every preacher gets to serve a church this awesome. I'm just telling you. Uh, preachers are notorious for, for putting their churches down when they're not around their church. When I'm around other people from other churches, do you know what I do? I brag on you. You're awesome. You get it. You don't, you don't make it about you. You make it about lost people. You don't make it about you. You make it about God. And the reason... We, we have endured the way we have for 30 years. And the reason our next 30 are going to... The last 30 have been great. The next 30 are going to be awesome. And the reason they're going to be awesome is because, A, we're passionate about God. You are passionate about God. And our next 30 years are going to be unbelievably good. 2011 alone is going to bring challenges for us. I'll talk more about that in January. We've got a big 2011 in front of us, y'all. Big 2011. Okay, I'm just telling you now, get ready for it. Because we're going to be challenged in 2011 like we have never been challenged before. Our passion for God is going to be tested. But we have passion for God. That's why our next 30 years is going to be great. We have a great passion. You have a great passion for lost people. And we have a great passion to bring those two great passions together. We want to see our God that we are passionate for brought together with people who don't know Jesus. And when that happens, we just celebrate. And we watch the kingdom of God unfold in front of our very eyes. So, yes, we've got a great 30 years under our belt. The next 30 will be better than the last 30. I just believe it. I believe the next year is going to be so tremendously good for us. Uh, stretch us, yes. But it's going to be a great year. You're thinking, he's going to preach now? <laughs> Yeah, but I've prepared. This has all been done. I know that we've got to get on our horse here, okay? I know we don't have a lot of time. But I have something that I think if you listen to it today, first of all, it's going to hit everybody in the room. What I'm going to say today is going to hit everybody in the room because we're going to talk about something that all of us have in us that needs some attention. And I really believe that, that we could save a spiritual life this morning. We could save your life this morning. Uh, so just grab a hold, pay attention. Here we go. We all want more. We all want more. There are certain appetites that we have. There's an appetite for food. There's an appetite for sex. I know there's more, but I know there's an appetite for food, and there's an appetite for sex. No, no. For guys, for guys, it's it's pretty much three things, right, guys? Um, if we're well fed and if we're well rested and we're happy you know we're pretty simple it's like a it's like a simple machine it's pretty simple maintenance on it's not too bad um, no there are other there are other appetites that we have we have appetites for acceptance appetites for um we have appetites for security we have appetites to be loved 
We have appetites to, to fit in. We want to be respected. We want to be cherished. All those are appetites within us. Those are all things that if you said, you know, what's something that you want more of, we would point to something like that. We all have appetites. There's not any of us in the room that, that don't have them. But each of these appetites creates a tension for us. And, and because in our worlds, our appetites only know one word. You happen to know what that word is? More. More. I want more. We have an appetite to be envied. That's why you bought the car you bought. That's why you buy the house you do and go on the vacations you do, because you want people to go, man, I want a vacation like that. I want a car like that. I want, you know, I want, we all, we all want that kind of stuff. We want to be envied. We want other people to wish they were us, you know. We, um, there are three things related to appetites I want to start with this morning. Number one, God created them and sin distorted them. You need to understand that. God created your appetite and sin distorts it. So that's where we start. Second thing is this. Appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. I want you to say that with me. Appetites are never finally and fully satisfied. They aren't. Appetites are never finally and fully satisfied. Number three, your appetites always whisper now. They do not whisper later. They whisper in your ear now. You want it now. It never whispers later. Later's not an option. And we could stop right there, but we won't. Your response to your appetites, your response to the idea that your appetites are never fully and finally satisfied and I cannot let them rule my life, your attitude toward that will determine the direction of your profession, of your family, and of your life. You look at your parents, and some of your parents fed their appetites, did not have control over their appetites, gave in to those, and their life ended badly. And you look at it and you say, you know what, I don't want to make the same mistakes my parents made. And then there are others, your parents managed their appetites. And that's a key phrase here. It's managed the appetites because we've all got them. There's a tension that has to be managed here. It's not like some of us have them and some of us don't. No, we've all got something. We're going to get into that a little bit this morning. But your parents managed those appetites in such a way that their life ended well. And you can say, you know what? That's what I want to be. And that's what I want to be about. And I want my life to look like that. I want my, my life to, to have the appetites in order and, and, and under the right, uh, under the right uh, authority and, and in the right jurisdiction. So... Today, I want you to, if you've got your Bible, take it out, turn to the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25. We're going to look at a story that if you've been in the church a long time, you've heard this story many, many times. And if you're new to the church, this may be a new story for you. We're going to talk about a guy named Esau this morning, E-S-A-U. He had a brother named Jacob. And um, Esau was the older brother. And he had this thing that was called a birthright as the older brother. If you were the older brother, you had the birthright. And that is a cherished thing to Esau, should be. And so in this particular time, if you had the birthright, that meant that you stood in line to get twice the inheritance of any of your siblings. Okay? Twice, at least twice as much, maybe three or four times as much, at least twice as much as any of your other siblings, just by virtue of having the birthright. You, you also, as you got older, became the patriarch of the family and got to be the judge. You pretty much were the, 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 the end-all, be-all. I mean, it all went through you. You were the man. 
Okay, if you were the birth, if you had the birthright, that was something that you knew to look forward to is you were going to be the guy in charge one day and everybody was going to look at you like, man, he is so awesome. And I don't know that, that I mean, I know that we, God doesn't have to do anything we tell him to do, but there just, there had to, there seemed to be this thing around the birthright that if you had the birthright, it was almost like God had to do what you wanted. You just knew that there was going to be blessing from God as a result of you having the birthright. It was just, you knew that you were blessed of God once you had the birthright. And it was to be prized, and it was to be cherished. So we read in Genesis chapter 25, verse 21, with that groundwork laid. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, and that tells you what Jacob is like. Jacob is in the kitchen, he's cooking some stew. Nothing wrong with that, but that's Jacob. Now I'm going to go into TV voice for the next part of this, because we need to establish the difference between these two guys, okay? Esau came in from the open country famished so you got jacob in the kitchen making some red stew and you have esau who's come in from the open country and i'm famished he said to jacob quick let me have some of that red stew i'm famished now what you have here is a very rare thing and if you're a younger brother you can appreciate this moment. If you're the parent of an older and younger brother, you can appreciate this moment because this doesn't happen very often. What's going on right here is this is one of those rare occasions of the younger brother having hand on the older brother. Right? This is a case where the younger brother has something that the older brother wants. And it's almost as if you know, you can get this sense when that happens that the younger brother goes, okay, just, I just want to stop for a minute and just feel what this feels like. Because my older brother needs me. And I have something he wants. And so whenever that happens, you, you have this thing where there's this negotiation that starts to happen, right? Um, so if the younger brother realizes that older brother wants something, he starts to think, okay, what does older brother have that I could trade to get what I want? And he starts at the top of the list. So like if older brother has a really cool car, younger brother thinks to himself, I want to drive that really cool car. So he says, will you let me drive your car? No. Okay. Will you let me sleep in your room? No. But eventually what's going to happen is there's going to be a place where they come to an agreement and this transaction happens and younger brother gives whatever older brother wants and older brother makes the trade. So that's what's going on. Jacob finds himself in a position of power over his older brother Esau. And you are about to see the most stupid trade in all of history. Okay, This is the stupidest trade in all of history right here okay here we go verse 31 jacob replied first sell me your birthright so a bowl of stew for a birthright who would do that who would trade their future for something of such little value who would trade their future for something as temporary as a bowl of stew? Who would throw away their marriage? Who, who would throw away the respect of their children? Who would throw away a career? 
Who would throw away a reputation in the community? A ministry. Who would give their future for something as small and temporary as a bowl of stew? You know who? You would. If it was the right bowl of stew. I would. If it was the right bowl of stew. It happens all the time. Appetites, as powerful as they are, are never finally and fully satisfied. And this potential is something that you carry every day of your life, and it will never go away. Every single day, every week, every month, you will have in your being an appetite that wants to be fully and finally satisfied and can't be. And every week, you will do business with this appetite, and you will have to manage this appetite. You're going to have to resolve an internal tension to bring yourself to something that you will never fully and finally satisfy. Verse 32, Esau. This dude, man, look at him. Verse 32, look, I'm about to die. All right, dude, you walked into camp. All right, you, your blood sugar may be low. Your hand may be shaking a little bit. You may have that, you know, like I, I, I'm gonna, you know, I feel like I'm gonna faint kind of thing going on. But you are not about to die. That's not how you die from starvation. Verse 32. Look, I'm about to die. Esau said, "What good is the birthright to me?" I'm telling you, there's not a person within the sound of my voice this morning, right now, who is immune from this dynamic in your world. There's nobody in here that cannot relate, including me. We've all got appetites. They're all lurking. They all want more. What good is the birthright to me? Can I just set you at ease about something this morning? You should never, ever, ever again in your life worry about asking the most stupid question in the world. Because there it is. What good is a birthright to me? You get twice the inheritance of your, big brother, of your little brother to begin with. You get to be his judge for life. You get God's blessing, and you can almost hear Esau saying, well, yeah, there's that. But what good's the birthright to me? I can't eat it. Did you know that when you have an appetite for something that when you really get focused on something something actually happens in your brain it, it happens to all of us it happens when you're at the mall it happens when you see somebody that you shouldn't have any contact with and you want to have contact with them it happens when you want to do something and you think no i shouldn't do that it, it happens all of us have had that moment where our appetite kind of swelled up and became larger than life, and scientists say that there are actually two things that go on in our brains. All of us have this. The, the first thing is called impact bias. Have you ever heard that? Impact bias. Impact bias says it, it takes a simple appetite like hunger or a desire to be loved or a desire to be respected or held or anything like that, and it magnifies it out of proportion. just makes it huge. And your brain lies to you and tells you that if you get this thing, 
it will make you feel better than you actually will feel. So it tells you you'll feel like an 8 when in fact you'll feel like a 3. You think it's going to be awesome, you get there and it's like, it's not so awesome. Your, your brain says this is going to feel way better than, you, than it's actually going to feel. That's why we have buyer's remorse. You ever bought that thing that you've really wanted, get it home, mess around with it for a couple hours and go, I wish I'd bought the better one. Or, that's not doing what I thought it was going to do. Or, why don't I feel better because I bought this? I've been wanting this thing for six months, now I've got it, and it's like, I'm done with it. That's why. Your brain is lying to you. It said it would feel like a seven or an eight, and it feels like a three or a four. We've all experienced this. So the first thing is impact bias. The second thing is focalism. Focalism focuses our mind on one thing and blurs everything else out. So, guys, you can still remember the certain girl in high school, can't you? And they, don't, they didn't know you then, and they don't know you now. And she walked into the room, and everything else blurred, because that's all you saw was her. You still remember what she looked like, where she sat, what she smelled like, what kind of clothes she was wearing. And she don't remember nothing about you. <laughs> Focalism. She didn't notice you then. She hadn't noticed you since. What happens is we've, we have an appetite that gets blown out of proportion and everything else blurs and it lies to us. And it says this is going to be way better than it actually is. And so Esau says, who needs a birthright when I can have a bowl of stew? Now let me tell you something. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. I don't care how much scripture you know. I don't care how many times you pray. I don't care how many times you come to church and how few bad words you say. I don't care about any of that stuff. This happens in your brain with every appetite you've got. Impact bias and focalism. Verse 33. But Jacob said, swear to me first. See, Jacob's not... Jacob was born in the daytime, but it wasn't yesterday. And he says, you swear to me first. And so they did this thing, this oath thing. And I don't know exactly how it happened, but it had something to do with put, you would put your hand under his leg like that. And somehow they would swear an oath. And so he says, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. This transaction's actually going to go down. For a bowl of stew. It's at this point in the story that we wish we could drop in and say, wait, 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 Esau, Esau, hold on just a second. Jacob, I know, I know your mouth is watering, and I know you're about to pull off the deal of a lifetime, but I got to talk to Esau for just a minute, so you just wait right there. We'll be right back. Esau, come here, buddy, 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 buddy. Do you know what you're doing? Have you really thought this through, Esau? There's some things that you need to know that I need to bring you up to speed on. Okay, Esau, I, I, know, I know that you've got a couple of kids now, but Esau, you're going to have 12 kids. And they are going to swell up into a nation. They are going to be in Egypt, and they're going to be captive, and they're going to become this slave nation. They're going to cry out to God. God is going to hear their cries, and he's going to answer their cries. He's going to appear to a guy named Moses. Say his name with me, Esau, Moses. Moses, Moses Esau. 
Moses is going to see a burning bush and God is going to talk to Moses out of the burning bush and he's going to introduce himself. And do you know what that introduction is going to sound like, Esau? Moses is going to hear God say, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. Well, I didn't know that. Esau, dude, I know you're hungry. I know you've been out in the woods and chasing whatever it is you've been chasing, trying to hunt and fix and plow and do whatever it is you've been doing out in the high country. But you take that bowl of stew and all that changes. You think you're jealous of your little brother now. You just wait. You take this stew and it's going to be, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And his little brother and, and, and Esau goes, why? I didn't know that. Wait, Esau, I have to tell you more because it gets better. Because this other guy's coming and his name is Jesus. He is the Son of God. He's going to come as the Savior to the world. He is going to come through your line. And he's going he's to have these followers they call them disciples he's going to have a disciple named matthew say his name with me esau his name is matthew matthew okay so we got moses and we got matthew matthew's going to be a disciple of jesus he's going to write a best-selling book that is going to be inside the best-selling book of all time everybody's going to read this book esau it's going to be translated into every known language in the world it's going to outsell every book that's ever been published it's called the bible and in matthew chapter 1 verse 1 Esau, listen to how it's going to start because he's going to start with a lineage and this is what it's going to say. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Esau. Now, I know you're hungry, but Esau, do you really want to throw all that away for a bowl of stew? Esau, it's none of my business, but I'm just going to suggest that it would be better if you died than for you to sell your birthright. But there was no one there for Esau to help him reframe this debate. There was nobody there, and there will be nobody there standing next to you this week or next month when, when you are on the verge of trading your birthright for a bowl of stew. There will be no one there. No one's going to be whispering in your ear, count the cost. No one's going to be whispering in your ear, you're going to be sorry. Nobody's going to say, it's not worth it. So here's how the story ends. You want to hear how the story ends? Verse 34. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and it doesn't tell you this, but it should. And the food and drink was gone. Because it's gone. Because it's temporary. And then he got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Whatever you want, you will only want more. Whatever appetite you have, it's going gonna, it's gonna to only whisper in your ear now. It's never going to whisper later. It wants it now. And your only hope is to develop the habit of reframing your appetite in a broader context. 
It's, it's about reframing it in, in terms of what God has called you to do, what God's after, what He wants. What, what you set your sights on years ago, what your goals were, what your vision is for your life. It's about reframing all your appetites that way. And all your appetites do is say, more and now. <laughs> more now. It's like a microwave. More now. There are opportunities that you should never take advantage of because they will put you in places you don't want to be and they'll pull you away from what God has for you. They might not necessarily be wrong things. They're just not the right things for you. And God's saying, hey, I've got so much more for you. Don't settle. Don't, don't do that thing that you're thinking about doing. It's not bad or wrong necessarily. It's just not what I've got for you. There are places that you should never go that are bigger and better, but once you get there, you're going to realize they're really not bigger or better, and they promised to make you feel better, but they really didn't. Many of our appetites are valid, but if we allow our appetites to dictate to us at some point in the future, we will trade our future for a bowl of stew. So you have to reframe your appetite. So this is what I want you to do. I'm not going to make you close your eyes this week. But I want you to imagine you're sitting in front of a, you've got a piece of paper on a desk in front of you and a pen in your hand. And this is what I want you to write. And at some point, I don't, maybe you don't write it down, but I want you to get by yourself at some point and I want you to work through this exercise that I'm talking about right now. I want you to spend some time. It would help if you did write it out, I think. So maybe you want to do that. But, but you need to go through this exercise. I want you to think right now, you've got this sheet of paper in front of you, and I want you to write down at the top of the page... 10 years from now, dot, 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 and just take off. What do you see 10 years from now? What do you see in your world? What do you want to see happen 10 years from now? What do you think God wants from you and wants to give to you and wants to provide for you 10 years from now? What, what about your marriage? What about your job? What about your kids, your, your legacy, your ministry? And you will reframe in one single question all of your appetites. The clearer and bigger and more defined the frame, the less grip our appetites that never go away and are never fully and finally satisfied, the less grip they will have on our life. But we have to reframe the appetites because they always want more. And if you give in, it is the same as what Esau said. You trade your future for a bowl of stew. So I want to give you some questions, and then we'll get out of here. These are quick. We won't be here long. Question number one, what is your bowl of stew? You've got one. You might have more than one. But you've got at least one bowl of stew. And it's being held out to you, and you are finding it incredibly difficult to say no to it. You're having a hard time saying no, and in your heart you're saying, yeah, Brett, it's an appetite thing, but you, you just don't understand no, I do understand because I have appetites too. I've got that same voice whispering in my head. Now, more, now, more, now. I know how frustrating it is. I know how hard it is to see that bowl of stew because see, you've got one, I've got one, we've all got one, and we would all trade, we would all trade. If it's the right bowl of stew, we would trade. Number two, what are you trying to talk yourself into? Because what happens is your appetite starts talking to your brain. 
and it says, Brain, I really want this thing, but he's not going to do it unless you can talk him into it. So I need you to come up with reasons why we need to do this thing. And we call those justifications. Right? We, we start coming up with all the reasons and all the logic why we should pull the trigger on this thing, whatever it is, and, and give ourselves whatever this appetite is that we want. And so whatever it is that you find your brain trying to talk, or your, your appetite's trying to talk your brain into, that's your bowl of stew. And you, you, the flags need to go way up. That's it. That's what I would trade my future for, and I need to be careful. And, and you, you see, the things that you would, you could talk somebody else out of their appetites, but you can't talk yourself out of your own. And you say, well, Brett, my situation's unique. No, it's not. Your situation's not unique. It's really not. You think it is. You think you're unique. You think your situation's unique. The thing is, this, those things happen to everybody. Everybody's got the, the same kind of appetites. You're not unique. You just need to tell yourself no. Number three, what are you doing? This takes a little, you got to think about this one a little bit. What are you doing that is not illegal and is not immoral, but you hope no one finds out about? And I heard Andy Stanley give this piece of advice. This is great advice. If you, this, is, this is the take-home today. Never do anything you wouldn't want to have to explain publicly. We've all got that stuff, don't we? We've all done stuff. It's like, dude, I would not want to explain that publicly. I've got stuff I would not want to have to explain to you. We can't do anything about what we've done. We can do something about what we do. Don't trade what is most important for a bowl of stew. What, what is true of Esau is true of you. You have no idea what God wants to accomplish through your life, through your children, through your grandchildren. You have no idea. And nobody is going to be standing next to you a week from now when your appetites start infringing on those legacies. But God knows what he wants to do in your life, and God knows what he's up to in your world, and God knows... What, what legacy he has for you and what things he wants to do for your grandkids. Reframe, reframe. Reframe and reframe. But whatever you do, do not trade your future for a bowl of stew. Let's pray. Father, this, this is on all of us and we've all got these things in us that cry out these things that we just there's, and in our culture, in our world we live in the, one of the richest countries in, on the planet, we, there's stuff all around us we, appetites are everywhere for us God and it is so hard sometimes to listen to your still small voice when we hear this appetite thing in the other ear telling us more now, more so, Father, we, we, need to, we need to hear you speak. We need, we need your help. We need your guidance. We need your strength. And, God, we, we just humbly before you now confess to you that we know we've got these appetite things going on, and they get a little crazy sometimes. And we, we want to honor you. We want to live for you. We want to do right by you. So, we ask for your protection. We ask for your wisdom. We ask for your strength and your will. And Father, may our legacy individually, may our legacy as a church, as we...
corporately come together and harness our appetites for the right things, could we be able to look back 30 years from now and say, man, look how God's blessed. Look at what God did because we did it His way, the right way. God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.